Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast. Today's a dozen. I, th- I thought the audio quality that came from those press conferences this weekend was really pretty bad, to be honest with you. And so it's one of those things where, like, the quality of the information is important enough that I'm still going to play some of the audio, but. But boy, you had to really work to kind of find usable audio, uh, you know, here from this past weekend. So a couple of things you're going to hear on today's show, at least in terms of the audio clip, hopefully not me, but the audio clips are, oh boy, they're a little shaky. And that's not on our end because I have reason to just, uh, you know, believe that's not on our end. It was just recorded in kind of a funky way, especially the stuff with uh, Kirby Smart. But, but nonetheless, let me begin with the man of the hour, Stetson Bennett, who set a program record on Saturday with five touchdown passes and came out of the just the gates throwing haymakers and throw, swinging and throwing punches and all that kind of stuff. It was a day for the ages for Bennett, literally the kind of thing that one day he can tell his grandkids about. On that field, in that stadium, one day I was as good as I ever was, and as I told our video audience that joins us for our first and 15 on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, you could pick any quarterback in the country. You may even pick some NFL quarterbacks. And in that first half against UAB, the only thing they could have done was match Stetson Bennett. They couldn't have exceeded the performance that Bennett put together. You could have only been as good as he was. He was averaging 45 yards per attempt for a portion of that first half. His quarterback rating was over 700. He was, I, I joke with somebody in the press box, he was averaging 4.6 points per throw at one point in time because so many of his uh, throws were, were going for touchdowns. It was that kind of day. And, you know, after the game, he was asked to kind of put into context what does it all mean. And, you know, Bennett was both obviously proud of his efforts, but also keeping it within context. And I think this is pretty good stuff from uh, Bennett from Saturday. Take a listen to this. It seems like that's usually an Oklahoma stat line when they play some, you know, north, south, west Texas. You know, whoever's the guy, we're all ready, all of us. I think everybody on the team has confidence with everybody uh, in our quarterback room. And, you know, we're all good friends. We all prepare the same way. You know, you knew you were going to get that answer. So, in other words, the question was along the lines of, hey, do you think you might be the starting quarterback now that you threw five touchdowns? And he's like, nah, listen, it was a great day. And, you know, Bennett is – like, I think a lot of people have this, like, assumption that because Bennett's a little smaller than you sometimes think quarterbacks would be and that he, you know, kind of went from, like, sort of walk-on status or, you know, scout team status to, you know, starting quarterback. I think some people have this assumption that Bennett's this, like, Ali, you know, golly gee whiz, you know, uh, uh, you know, like uh, – you know, somebody like that who's like excessively humble or excessively, aw shucks, I'm just glad to be here. That's not quite the vibe I get from Bennett. I think Bennett's got a little ed- little more edge to him than some people realize. And so uh, upon getting a chance to answer that, you know, he was going to let you know, listen, I put an Oklahoma stat line out there. I don't know if y'all were watching, but I put an Oklahoma stat line out there. But then he obviously takes it back to the team thing of, Listen, all of our quarterbacks are good. Everybody's preparing. Everybody's doing what they uh, need to be doing. But don't assume, though, that, that Bennett doesn't have an edge to him just because his story is a little bit of an underdog-style story. Don't, don't be so quick to assume that. But what some people are kind of left to wonder is, well, what does all of this mean? When Bennett plays that well, when some people thought Carson Beck should start or might start, and we'll get more into this later on, uh, but Beck didn't start, didn't get a chance to play, uh, Bennett plays as well as he does, what does all of this mean? I'm going to spend like 60 seconds on this, and then I'm going to talk about a couple of other things. I guess I've kind of come to the appreciation that it might not mean all that much. Let me say it this way. 
So like, I'm not someone who has watched a lot of you know the Marvel movies, the the you know uh, Avengers stuff like that. I haven't really watched that many of those. Now I'm not against them. Like you know, fun entertainment's fine for me. I love Star Wars as a friend, and I just never really watched the Marvel movies all that much. Uh, you know, it's not like everything I'm watching is like French with subtitles. I'm happy to have entertaining you know action you know movies. Just the Marvel movies themselves, I don't know that much about. So for someone who doesn't know you know, much about the stories of these movies, but obviously you can't be alive on this planet and not be aware they exist because of all the attention they get, the money they make. Some of the stuff that I hear sometimes is kind of confusing. Like, there was, like, this new Captain America movie the other day, and, like, there's this new guy playing Captain America, and, but I thought this other guy played Captain America. When you ask somebody about that, wait, which one is Captain America, this guy or the other guy? The same answer you kind of always get is, well, this is just part of the multiverse. Like the so-called multiverse is supposed to be like this, I guess, alternate universe that exists apart from the established reality. And all the weird stuff that happens in Marvel can typically be explained of, well, this is just sort of part of the multiverse. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I don't watch the movies on a regular basis. But I am kind of of the belief that Saturday's game for Georgia was Georgia football's own version of the multiverse. It's sort of like this weird one-off that's not necessarily a connected to established canon you know the reality based storyline is JT Daniels the starting quarterback and frankly the Georgia offense is trying to figure some things out and the Georgia offense is trying to find out how explosive it can be but on Saturday we had this like multiverse day where not only is Stetson Bennett the starting quarterback for Georgia but the Georgia offense was as explosive as any team in America and I don't really know what it means it probably doesn't really mean anything it's just sort of this separate reality to be enjoyed as what it was just kind of a kind of an entertaining show, and I'm I'm sort of fine with that. That it's not necessarily connected to the larger narrative of Georgia. It's just a thing that happened, and it was entertaining. And as you start moving forward the rest of the way, we'll kind of get back into the more established storyline, and we'll find out how explosive Georgia can be in the biggest games it's going to play this season. Hopefully, with a healthy JT Downs at quarterback. But on Saturday, the multiverse vo- version of Georgia football was. Quite a show indeed from Stetson Bennett, and I'm going to give him a lot of credit for the way that he played because stepping onto the field, having not practiced very much apparently with the number one offense and playing that well is really pretty remarkable. So a great day from Bennett, an entertaining show from fans, and I think it's important we don't really make much more of it than that. It was just a good day to be in Sanford Stadium, especially if your last name was Bennett on all of that. Now, let me move on to something that I think does really matter. And this is what, what was, to me, a frustration for Georgia fans in the 48 hours or so leading up to the game. There was this fixation on who was going to start at Georgia, whether it be, you know, back to begin with. A lot of Georgia fans were excited about that because, you know, he's a four-star and, you know, a lot of folks just want to see what he brought to the table. They hadn't seen as much of him as they had seen some of these other quarterbacks. And, you know, there was then the, well, it may be Stetson Bennett. That creates some confusion on the part of some Georgia fans. And but but along the way with all of this, whether it's thinking about Bennett or thinking about Beck, the one thing I, I really don't think Georgia fans have thought enough about is what is actually going on with JT Daniels? How healthy is he really? This is the most important story right now going on with Georgia football. And I have no reason to believe that he's more injured than Kirby Smart has let on for you know, him to be. But honesty compels me to admit How many injuries in a row is it for Georgia that have been first described as no big deal and then later additional reporting lets us know that actually maybe five weeks? I mean, and I'm not saying that's going to happen for JT Daniels, but I think as a Georgia fan, you have to be on guard with what's happening with your starting quarterback. This matters more than the Bennett back drama. This matters more than almost anything else. How healthy is JT Daniels? Because I can promise you this. 
It was not part of some grand diabolical master plan to have Daniels not starting in the second game of the season against UAB on Saturday in what would have only been his sixth start in a Georgia uniform. This is a young man that went almost the entirety of 2019 and 2020 without playing hardly any football at all. This is a guy who came back to Georgia to play football. He wanted to play Saturday. Georgia would have wanted him to play Saturday. The fact that he didn't is not an insignificant story. So as I think for myself about you know my own preparations going into the South Carolina game on Saturday, there's going to be nothing that matters more for me than how healthy Daniels is or isn't going into a game like this. And for a Georgia offense that needs to get better, you know, with with its full complement of guys, some of that is put on hold if you're not doing that with the guy that you presume to be your starting quarterback and JT Daniels. So with all of that in mind, this is smart from Saturday on JT Daniels. Now, I told you before, this audio quality is lousy, but it's also smart talking about why his quarterback didn't start. So it's valuable enough to hear, assuming you can hear it. Let's give it a shot. JT got better as the week went on. He really didn't even know anything was really wrong with him on Monday. He took most reps and was fine. It was bothering him some. And as the week went on Tuesday, it bothered him a little more. And I, you know, today he was better than he was earlier in the week and actually felt good. Today was the first time he got to really throw some balls uh, down the field in warm-ups. So we hope he continues to improve. I'm telling you right now, you got to start really thinking more about this and really listening closely to everything that Smart says and everything that happens for Georgia here. We talked about this last week, that my reasonable goal for the Georgia offense was to really be humming by October the 9th on the road at Auburn. To Mike Griffith's credit, he came on the show and said, well, B.A., don't forget about October 2nd versus Arkansas. That statement seems more relevant now. Arkansas looked really good in beating up on Texas on Saturday. That's a game that matters. It's a game that... I was in. I'll give you my mindset real quick for the for the Arkansas Texas game. I was like, "Oh, this is so much fun! I love Sam Pittman. Love seeing him beat up on Texas. This is a blast. This is good times." Game's over. Wait a second. This team's playing Georgia in a couple of weeks. They look pretty good. Oh boy, let's figure out what's going on here. The Arkansas Georgia game on October second seems like a bigger deal now. You want a healthy JT Daniels in rhythm and in sync with his offense when you play that game. Not so much because Arkansas may beat Georgia, but the game seems tougher now than it may have seemed to some people on paper before Arkansas you know, walked the dog with Texas all day on Saturday. Then there's October 9th at Auburn. There's a chance Auburn's not very good, but y'all, they are also one of the teams involved in the game on Saturday that ESPN College Game Day is attending. They got a, they got a high-profile spot on the road against Penn State. Road game at LSU after that. There's a chance that Auburn's ranked the top 15 and undefeated with a rocking and rolling crowd there at Jordan-Hare Stadium and Georgia goes there October 9th. You want JT Daniels ready to go for that game by the time it takes place. So here's the point that I'm making here. I'm not a doctor I won't pretend to be. I don't know how healthy JT Daniels is. The fact that Smart's downplaying the nature of his injury actually doesn't mean that much to me, given the way that Smart typically speaks about a lot of these injuries. One way or another, it's our own eyewitness observation of this. It's going to probably matter more that you need Daniels to get healthy and you need this offense to make sure it's fully in sync and fully in rhythm as you start looking to the month of October. The dogs are going to play some big games in that month. It's going to be a cakewalk for a couple of weeks here, but the cakewalk probably ends once you put your pumpkins out for Halloween, once October comes around here. So the Daniels health is definitely a story worth watching. It was an entertaining show on Saturday, and I was glad to see Stetson Bennett do what he did. But apart from that, I'm watching the Daniels situation close, and frankly, I'm not quite so sure what to make of this just yet. 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. Good to have you with us on all the video platforms today. We start at 945 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. Then at 10 a.m., we get going on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Is that all the platforms? I think it is. Uh, podcast, the Apple Player, Spotify, the Google Player for the Android folks. Uh, obviously, the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. Some of you listen right there through SoundCloud. Some of you say, B.A., I wait for you to post the show there at dognation.com. That does come a couple of hours after it appears on some of the other platforms, but if that's convenient for you, we just want you to have the show however you get it, and we want to say thank you to you for being a big part of what we do here each and every day. And all of this platforms and all of our ability to distribute this all made possible as well by our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia. They are there to take care of you when it comes to energy-efficient windows and doors. That means times like this when the weather's hot, it keeps the outside where it's supposed to be on the outside and all that cool air on the inside that makes you feel so nice and comfortable in your home. That's right where it's supposed to be, making you feel really good there too. And Pella is also a nationally known company, so when they install those windows and doors, you're getting the unparalleled resources that a nationally known company can provide. But locally owned branch right here in Georgia, which means you're really getting unrivaled service. That's all what Pella Window and Door can, of Georgia can do for you. Also, for a couple more days, take advantage of great savings here between now and September 16th. Replace all your windows. Payments as low as $99 a month, or you can get 10% off qualifying installations. A couple different ways to do this. Give them a call, 678-638-1496. One more time, that number, 678-638-1496, or visit PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Tell them BA from Dog Nation Daily told you they would take good care of you because I know for a fact that's going to be the case. And here on our show today, we're going to try to take good care of you. I've got more good stuff on Stetson Bennett before we're done today, including some really fascinating appraisal of Bennett's role on this Georgia team from one of the dog's key leaders, Jamari Salyer. We'll do that on the program. We'll also get serious about the situation with the Georgia offensive line, kind of what you're seeing from that group right now. No better person to break that down for us than John Stinchcomb. And we'll celebrate the emergence of Brock Bowers as a legit playmaker. This is not this is not a drill, folks. Uh, after being targeted a ton in the uh, Clemson game and really showing out on Saturday, this Bowers situation is looking pretty interesting right now. So all of that is coming up in just a moment. Now, before that, let's go around the doghouse here today, assisted by our friends at AAA. And by the way, stay tuned for the end of the show for our Golden Shoe. We have a AAA-themed Golden Shoe, which I thought was really funny. We have a couple of Golden Shoes today. That was one of them. We'll do that then. But for now, uh, Around the Doghouse presented by AAA here today, let me get into what was really the dominant discussion on our post-game show on Saturday presented by the UJ Bookstore at the UJ Bookstore. The post-game show is a little different than a lot of what we do around here in that I mostly just read comments. I share a few thoughts of my own, but this is like the old school radio show. Remember the old school radio show where like after the game, people are like calling in and they're giving their feelings. It's kind of like, just it's fan reaction to what happens. And that's kind of the model for the post-game show. This is 2021, so it's not necessarily phone calls anymore. It's reading those comments and all the different video platforms that kind of show up there. But but that's, you know, kind of, you know, what we do there on that. So a lot of what I do in the post-game show is reacting to what other people are saying. And the thing that everybody was kind of talking about on Saturday was, this is true before the game, it was still true after the game, why it was Bennett that started instead of Carson Beck, who Kirby Smart had, uh, you know, suggested – probably more than suggested, had said, 
was the number two quarterback prior to the JT Daniels injury. Why was it then that Carson Beck didn't start? Why did Stetson Bennett start in his place? And some people got really nervous here because they want to see Beck. He's a former four-star, a higher-rated player in their mind than Stetson Bennett is. And with the transfer portal always looming, there was this you know, suggestion on the part of a lot of fans well, I guess Beck's about to bolt if he's not getting this chance to start right now. So I've got a lot of feelings on this, and I'll share them with you. But first, let me let you hear Smart in his own words. Not perfect audio once again, but Smart in his own words explaining why it was Bennett instead of Beck that got the start on Saturday. Here is Kirby. The season we go with Stetson, you know, we're really young offensively. We have a lot of guys that are injured and out, uh, whether it's Kiaris, George, Dar- or Darnell. I mean, we just have a lot of young players that we're trying to grow up, and we felt that it would give us – a calming uh, effect to have him in, his experience, his ability to play in games. Um, and, you know, he played really well and really proud of the way he handled it. And the plan was to play both of them. Uh, and we went 2-1, 2-1, exactly like we planned on uh, to get those guys uh, reps. And I'm really proud of the way Stetson's handled himself. Uh, nobody's been better to the University of Georgia than Stetson Bennett in terms of his work. Uh, he doesn't get you know as many reps as a lot of other guys. So I was proud of him and uh, his success today. Playing in a game when it's zero zero is a very different thing than playing in a game when it's fourteen or twenty one to nothing or twenty eight to nothing or something like that. The pressure is just different. Bennett has been a starter for Georgia before. Kirby Smart and Georgia had respect for UAB. Now you can roll your eyes at that, but the fact of the matter is that the team that beat Florida State on Saturday, Jacksonville State, got beat by UAB 31-0. Comparative scores can be a trap to fall into, transitive property, all that kind of stuff, but it's still a data point worth considering that UAB shut out a team that proved capable of beating Florida State on the road. Georgia kickoff on Saturday was only about a 23-point favorite. You don't have to care about gambling. You don't have to care about point spreads, but as a anticipated outcome, Georgia was only expected to beat UAB by about 23 points. They are more than a 30-point favorite by comparison against South Carolina for this upcoming weekend. There are reasons to believe that UAB is better than South Carolina. Georgia treated them as doing so. Some Georgia fans are going to say, well, this is just Kirby Smart being careful, being conservative. This is just Kirby Smart, you know, uh, uh, you know playing games with his quarterback position. I've criticized Smart for quarterback stuff before. I think there's some specific real examples you can cite where maybe Smart did not make the best decision or he at least made an odd decision when it comes to quarterbacks in in some respects. I simply don't think this is one of those. And this is not Georgia host carrying, you know, Kirby Smart's water. I'm sensitive to the idea of that because my real constituency is the fans. I try to take care of fans. Kirby Smart doesn't sign my checks. It's not my job to prop him up. His own performance is enough to do that for him. In this particular case, my job is to narrate a discussion amongst Georgia fans. I understand where Georgia fans are coming from when they call for back. I just happen to think in this particular case, they might be wrong. In fact, it's more than a might be. I think they are wrong. You know, this notion that Beck's waited long enough to start because it's the second game of his second year on campus. Tell that to Latavius Brini, who was a part of the 2017 signing class and is only just now getting a chance to play significant football for UGA. Or Channing Tindall, who was... How highly rated was Channing Tindall as part of the 2018 class? And how long did he wait to get to do some of the things that he's doing right now? The idea that somehow Beck should have to be less patient than some other Georgia players have had to be in terms of getting on the football for Georgia, that simply doesn't make any sense to me. And the thing that concerns me right now 
is what Georgia's doing in 2021 to prepare itself for a national championship. Now, I don't know that playing Stetson Bennett got you any closer to that uh, on Saturday because we presume that JT Daniels is the starter. When healthy, we hope to see Daniels do some of the things that Bennett did on Saturday. But the idea that the UAB game was some G-Day Part 2 audition to see if Beck was worthy of being the starting quarterback in 2022, I can promise you this, that's not the way that you want Kirby Smart to make decisions. And this notion of, well, you better play him, otherwise he may transfer. I realize that narrative was out there, but trust me, you don't want your coach to coach in fear of the transfer portal either. And frankly, I don't think some of you are giving Beck enough credit to assume that he's somehow going to be, you know, pouting and impatient if he has to wait a little longer to get a start there at Georgia. If that's the way that he felt, then he probably would have made a different decision than coming to Georgia to begin with. I haven't talked to Carson about that. I don't know that for sure. That's just the assumption I'm going to make that you know what you're signing up for when you come to a place like Georgia. And when it was all said and done, Beck got a chance to play plenty on Saturday. For those that wanted to see the former four-star get some game reps, he got them. But on the basis of the way that both quarterbacks played, can you honestly say Smart made the wrong decision by playing Bennett instead of Beck? That's not a criticism of Beck. It's just an acknowledgement of the reality of the situation. So I realize this is a hot topic. But don't let this distract you from what really matters. Getting JT Daniels back healthy and enjoying on Saturday from Stetson Bennett was actually kind of a performance from the ages. That is Around the Doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And, of course, I'm on the road a lot this time of year. High school football games, Athens on Saturday, road games back when they come back around again here in a couple of weeks. And, obviously, I'm thankful to have a AAA membership because if the car breaks down, goodness knows, I'm not going to fix it there on the side of the road. So AAA really helps me when it comes to that. But that's not the only way they can help you. They can also help you big time when it comes to your auto insurance. Because when you switch and save with AAA, you can save, on average, $529. That's real money, extra money in your pocket for having AAA as your auto insurance provider. So find out more about this, AAA.com slash auto insurance for more information. That's AAA.com slash auto insurance for more information on all of that. So we'll obviously give Georgia fans a chance to weigh in and react what they saw on Saturday. We'll do that comment section and video later on or on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. And we'll tell you more about what Georgia players themselves were saying with the day from Bennett before we're done on today's show too. But we want to now make way for our expert analyst to come on here, talk about what he saw from the Georgia offensive line quietly in the midst of a day in which the Georgia passing attack was really pretty impressive. The the Georgia running game may have left something to be desired and maybe the offensive line, a part of that story too. John knows all about that, so we'll let him tell us as we get a classic City Logger insider update with John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily. Fun Monday continues right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Say hello to John Stinchcomb right now. Classic City Logger insider update after Georgia just absolutely blasts UAB on Saturday. I, I didn't see that one coming. Georgia winning, obviously, but 56-7 to against a team that I really have a lot of respect for in the Blazers. Bill Clark, I think, one of the sharp group of five coaches out there. This was, this was really a flex from Georgia, I thought, especially without your starting quarterback there in the game. Uh, John, it was also interesting for the buildup to it, and I kind of joked with somebody on Friday that, boy, the Clemson game just seemed like 100 years ago because after you beat, you know, this kind of top five national championship-level nemesis, the the ecstatic high from that lasted about 12 minutes, 
before we were debating who should be starting a quarterback and what's going on with this and, you know, what's going on with that. It, it is always interesting times when it comes to talking about Georgia football on a week-to-week basis. So, John, I guess just start wherever you want to. <laughs> you just toss the ball up, and I appreciate that, B.A. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what? When we left the, the Clemson game, I think fans uh, for both teams still had so many questions. Is, yeah. Is Clemson not the same team? Did we beat a good Clemson team but not a great Clemson team? Is is Georgia's offense able to move the ball, or is Clemson's defense good? What's the story there? And I think we got some answers. I think we uh, figured out against a, a UAB team that um, you look at their history, their track record, and they've had some really good success in their conference. So not your usual cupcake. And Georgia came out having to uh, continue to build an identity and do so behind a quarterback that was not your name starter, not the guy that folks have entered this season with such hype and anticipation for. Um, and, and they performed at an exceptionally high level against a good, not great, uh, a, opponent and made them look, you know, very inferior. So uh, it, 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 for me, solidified – the legitimacy of Georgia being the number two team in the country. And also you, you have to pay attention to what's going on in Clemson and say they're a very capable and great national team, and it makes that week one victory look that much sweeter for us. Yeah. So um, I, I think it answered a lot of questions. Let me do two quick things in the quarterback, then I want to move on here a little bit. I think some fans totally overblow the oh, over over blue overblown uh, whatever the, <laughs> the right verb tense is on that made way too much of the decision not to start back. What do you think about that? Well, we don't get to watch the practice, yeah. and uh, if anything, I think it, would, it it caught fans off guard because of the gamesmanship that was coming out of um, Athens and and particularly Coach Smart and his staff and. He, the questions leading up to it all pointed towards if JT can't go, then it's going to be Carson Beck. So I think the shock aspect of, of Stetson being the first number that's called, um, fans were almost offended. Like, well, why, why have we been kept in the dark for this team that I have such loyalty and love for? And we are so excited about what this season can hold for us. Then why am I not some scholar of, all things Georgia football. And uh, I, I think there's some validity to that. I know in the text threads and text groups that, that I'm with and involved with, with former Georgia players, um, nobody really knew. And so it, it did come as a surprise. Now, what a great surprise it was because Stetson came out there and smoked them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you talk about a guy who, who played at a really high level and the moment is was most certainly none too big for him. Uh, he set the bar pretty high, not only for Carson, but you know I think JT was out there going, man, I'd like to have some of those opportunities as well. I think that's interesting. And the case of Daniels, John, I told our audiences before, and this is not me trying to be doom and gloom because I don't have the medical expertise to say that one way or another, but my antenna is very up on the Daniel situation right now that him not playing on Saturday was not to me an insignificant story. And whatever smart says, he'll do a weekly press conference here today. And as the week progresses, not that Georgia necessarily needs him for South Carolina, because I think the Gamecocks 
are obviously an overmatched team, you would think, on Saturday. But the Arkansas game on October 2nd seems like a bigger deal now that Arkansas is beating Texas. And the road trip to Auburn, that's always a big deal for Georgia. Those are games in which not only do you want Daniels to be healthy, but you want Daniels to be in sync and in rhythm with the playmakers that he has available to him there at the time. I'm not trying to paint a dire picture because there's a chance that Daniels is healthy right now. But until I get full confirmation of that, I'm kind of on eggshells about the, my starting quarterback's health a little bit right now. What do you think? Well, I, I think it, it's kind of the M.O. of Georgia that they have confidence in the depth uh, across so many positions. I, I look at past experiences, past position groups where a guy's coming back from injury and you think, well, man, he's probably 90%. And because of the depth, because of the – development and recruitment and and quality of players that Georgia continues to have across the board, I think it gives them a little more confidence to say uh, we're not pressed to put a guy out there that there's some level of concern of uh, whether or not he's going to be able to give his best. And I think that's a testament for Georgia that it's not, man, we're reliant on this one guy because there's such a steep cliff if he's not on the field, um, I I still think that JT Daniels, uh, a healthy JT Daniels, is by far the best option for Georgia. Yeah. But w- when you have the confidence in, uh, you know, obviously this week it was Stetson in a little combination with Beck, that you can get the job done and and perform well, um, and give your number one guy the opportunity to heal and not press. Um, I think that's an encouraging sign. I would be more concerned about JT Daniels' health if he wasn't practicing, if he wasn't throwing balls. Um, you know, this, my understanding, very limited understanding of what this injury is and probably is, um, it, it can be nagging. It's one of those that I don't think it's going to be a season ender by any means, but it, it can be certainly be a situation that um, would would hinder and just nag for an extended period of time, just linger on. So if you got an opportunity where you feel pretty confident in what you got and you can give a guy some time to let one of these not get re-aggravated and flare up, I think they were wise in assessing the situation and uh, feeling confident that you can you know, give him the opportunity to heal a little bit. So let me move on to a different topic here for a moment. Let me be as candid as I possibly can be, I feel like my audience has been out in front of something ahead of me, and maybe I'm only just now catching up. And that is, maybe there are some concerns with this Georgia offensive line right now, more so than I've maybe discussed. I'm not saying it's a bad unit or anything like that. I'm just saying that, you know, this Georgia rushing attack right now is not the Georgia rushing attack we're used to seeing. Now, on Saturday, you didn't really need it because you were the air raid offense of, you know, David Klingler and Andre Ware. I mean, so you didn't necessarily have to be great running the football on Saturday, but Georgia wasn't great running the football on Saturday. And Smart talked about the need to kind of get that push. Interior of the offensive line seems to get some some questions about that. A lot of this, you know, Tate Rattledge did get hurt. You know, Warren Erickson's playing a different position than he was supposed to be playing at the beginning of the season, and he's got a, a hand wrapped as he's doing that, which, you know, maybe that affects his play, maybe it doesn't. The point is, is that I think that some of the people who communicate with me that watch or listen to the show and have been raising this as a concern, 
I think they may have been more right than I was initially letting on with this. You obviously watch this position group in a way that I can't because of the way that you played the game. So, John, what do you think you're seeing from the Georgia offensive line here at the moment? Uh, I think you're still seeing transition. I think you're seeing guys trying to build chemistry, and uh, I think it's an overall scheme transition as well. I think we're trying to figure out what our what our guys, and that specifically, I'm talking about our front five, what they excel at, what they can, uh, what we can really highlight for them, and. You know, you lose Tate Ratledge in week one. You're still trying to figure out exactly where guys are and, and which guys you want um, in, in a particular position because, you know, even Jamari's taking reps at, at a variety of spots. So <clears throat> my level of concern is there. There is a level of concern, but it's not nearly as high as, as some of the fans. I've seen some of these comments, and you're going – well, you know, it, we did score 56 against a good opponent. We were able to air it out, and I think a, a lot of that had to do with what UAB was presenting. I think they came into the game saying, um, we've got to stop, stop this stable of backs, and they moved the front well. And, you know, yes, you still have to be able to run against some difficult looks, but that defense was presenting opportunities in one-on-one situations on the back end, and Georgia exploited them. So, um, yes, in, in an ideal world, you're you're wanting to be able to run it against every look and throw it against every look, and that didn't happen. I, you know, I, there is a level of comfort that I have with that, with the understanding that, yes, the, the run game is, what it needs to be, and I think it's a, a work in progress. Uh, but I certainly think we can get there. Um, I'm not firing any alarms off here about the abilities of this group. I will say it's probably not um, what what it's been in years past with some of the elite groups, but it's it's developing, and I think there's great potential still to be had. It's John Stinchcomb here. It's a Classic City Lager Insider Update. And, of course, Classic City Lager, a great choice for you as you're heading towards game day because it's a lighter lager-style beer. That means it's easy to drink, tastes good when the weather's nice like it was this weekend. But there's no sacrifice in flavor because you're still talking about a craft beer-style lager. So there's a lot of work that goes into the flavor and making sure that it's a real special experience. That's what Classic City Lager from Creature Comforts Brewing Company that's what it's known for. It's available in six and 12-pack cans all year long, wherever you're shopping. So it's easy to find. It tastes great. It's like a taste of Athens, wherever you might be. Classic City Lager from Creature Comforts Brewing Company is just good cold beer. John, I, I it's okay if the answer to this question is no, but did you get a chance to watch closely when, like, Broder Jones or Marius Mims, the two young tackles, were in the game? Because I think some people say, well, if one of those younger guys can emerge, now Salyer can be a guard again, and you know maybe that's the best version of the Georgia offensive line. But obviously the big if there is one of those young guys being ready to start. Presumably it seems like right now Jones may be a little closer to doing that than Mims might be. Uh, did you get a chance to, to really examine them under a microscope with the way they played on Saturday? Well, yes, I watched the game. I, you know, I, I always tend to – Stare at the offensive line and see what we've got going, especially with these young guys and the anticipation thereof, which, you know, at one point that might have been the biggest right side of an offensive line that we've seen in quite some time, probably since yeah. the Isaiah Wilson days when you got 
uh, Mims at right tackle and Xavier Truss at right guard and Fitzpatrick is tight end. That's a pretty formidable wall, six, seven plus across the board. So, um, big guys and, and I, of what I've seen and I, you know, I didn't break down the film. I'm just watching and, and luckily I had recorded it and can rewind it. It's a little different than watching coaches film. I do think Broderick is, is further along in his development and probably be probably would be the next man up. Um, and, and some of the other guys, and you can see the potential there. I mean, Mims is, when, when you watched his high school film, the first thing that jumped off at you that he was huge, and you think, oh, maybe it's the competition. It most certainly isn't. I mean, <laughs> out there next to Trust, those are two monster humans. Um, and you see the, the, the potential there. Now, um, more than anything, it's the details of the game and just placement and understanding uh, how to put yourself in a good position. They're all athletes. They all move well. They all finish. I think it's the details. I think it's the details of understanding where your protection help is and pass game and what you're vulnerable to and what you need to eliminate quickly in the run game. And that just takes time. And, uh, you know, for, for Mims, um, you look like a younger guy that's that's got a lot of skill but just not there yet. And Broderick seems a little bit closer, but, you know, there were similar situations that appeared in that game. So um, I think the assessment of Broderick being closest to being ready to help, and and would you feel comfortable if his number was called right now? Probably so. Um, but there's still development across the board. They're young guys. Let me uh, get ready to finish with this. You know, we've now seen two games from Georgia. You have something to compare them to with the rest of the country there, too. I'm curious what else jumps out at you here. I mean, for me, maybe the most interesting thing is right now, Georgia looks like it has a real budding playmaker in Brock Bowers. Targeted a ton in the game against uh, Clemson. Really showed you an unbelievable level of array of athleticism against UAB. The Bowers thing is fascinating to me. Anything else along those lines that you just feel like is really important that we take stock of now that we've seen Georgia a couple of times? Well, yes, I think Bowers is no longer a well-kept freshman secret. I mean, the guy is a playmaker um, and was featured early and often in the Clemson game. And you saw his playmaking ability on full display against UAB. So um, I think he's somebody that defenses are going to start paying much more attention to and trying to eliminate those opportunities having recognized for two straight weeks Georgia has highlighted him and and found various ways to, to use him and you know it, mostly out of the slot like a, a really large and fast slot receiver which you know as you get Darnell Washington back out there you got to think about the how many different exciting ways Georgia can use that one-two punch at tight end Totally different players, but man, matchup nightmares in so many different ways. Um, yeah, focus is, is on that defensive side of the ball. I just think uh, if we're talking about the Georgia run game, some of the things that you saw later in the game with the run defense, there were some little creases there. And you just, to me, it highlights the difference that Jordan Davis makes on that front. When he is out there, that group is just a totally different unit. And um, if anything, you're just thinking from the UAB game, uh, 
uh, in that 2022 season, how do you replace a guy like that? But makes you really grateful this season to have such a game changer and game influencer like Jordan Davis across the front because, uh, man, he just eats two, three gaps up at a time and yeah, hard to run against. So real real big difference maker for Georgia. I don't want to keep you too long, and I apologize for squeezing this in. It's kind of a weird thing to even ask. But on Saturday at halftime, they honored the 1980 National Championship team, John, and they were like – by my count, nearly 90 people there, obviously uh, players and coaches. And you're a guy, and, you know, listen, I, 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 you know, obviously have great fondness for your final team. They're the 2002 SEC champions. But my point in asking this is, as somebody who also tries to keep up with your former teammates and kind of I'm sure you all have had moments when you've kind of gotten together either in official or unofficial capacity, how cool is it that for 40 years and guys probably spread out all over the country and obviously, you know, uh, maybe you know just different things going on, to get that many people back on the same place in the same day, obviously Coach Dooley looked really, you know, uh, good and, and great to see him there too on, on Saturday. Not the easiest thing in the world to get that many people back uh, from a from a team to Athens on the same day after forty years. I thought it was a pretty cool thing, and I'm sure as someone who's probably had to organize some of these get-togethers over the years, I'm sure you could tell us that's probably not as quite as easy as it maybe necessarily looked. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I will say when you do something as special as win a national championship and raise the banner for a program that, golly, we've been chomping at the bit for how many years? 40, I guess. Uh, to, to do it again, it it creates a very special bond. I mean, yeah. The Super Bowl team in for New Orleans, um, we had our 10-year reunion, I guess it was a, a year or so ago, right before the pandemic. And you, you get good returns on those deals because it's such a special <laughs> bond. You shared that moment with folks, and uh, it I think it's a lot easier to get people together to, to celebrate something as unique and special as that, especially in a year where there's such promise for Georgia that uh, this might be their opportunity to create that, that group like we've had 40 years ago. So. Uh, it was. It's always fun to highlight those guys, isn't it? I mean, what a yeah. what an amazing group, and uh, just to see and listen to all the names that they were able to call out, and all the memories for us Georgia fans who grew up with the the Lindsey Scotts and, right. the, and the Buck Baloo stories for all those years. It's always fun to go back and, and highlight. Uh, that special team. No, you're absolutely right about that. John, good stuff. Thanks for being here as part of a classic City Logger Insider Update. Appreciate your thoughts on all of that, and we'll look forward to speaking to you again next week as well. It was a great win for the dogs. Yes, it was. Watch another one coming up against an SEC opponent this weekend. No doubt about that, John. Thanks for your time. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Let me do a couple of kind of wrap-ups on what John had to say there because I was kind of monitoring some of the comments a little bit as John was on. And so I saw one or two people bring up the idea of, well, it was wrong that Georgia fans booed Stetson Bennett. You know, I was in the stadium when Bennett was announced as the starter. I didn't hear any boos. I, I know there's been like a little bit of online chatter about that or something. All I can say is that from my perspective, that was not my experience. I, I did not hear any boos of Bennett. Now, I talked to plenty of Georgia fans before the game that wanted back, not Bennett to start. But the idea that Bennett was was received by boos from the home crowd as someone who was in the stadium when that happened, that's not what I experienced. Now, maybe these headphones and my loud mouth, maybe my hearing's not what it once was. 
but I was in the stadium, and I, I think that, to, to the extent that's been kind of projected online, that's not the experience that I got from being in the stadium. That's just kind of my thing on that. And the one thing that John brought up there, which I think is kind of interesting, that that some Georgia fans have kind of highlighted as their issue with Bennett not back on Saturday was we were told that Carson Beck was the number two quarterback. And here's the thing where I think that reasonable people can disagree, and maybe some of the former Georgia players that John you know talked to felt this way. I know some of you felt this way. Look, I think there's a very big difference between being the number two quarterback but behind a healthy starter and the guy that then steps into the starting role once the starter is no longer available. It's just a it's just a much, much bigger deal. And, you know, working with the number two offense during practice as a way of preparing and 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 growing and learning, especially with, you know, Stead's been having done what he's done in the past, that's one thing. But when the starting quarterback's not available, it's not necessarily an obvious this is what's going to step up and this is what's going to happen because this is one of those things where the college depth chart's way different than the, than the pro depth chart anyway. Like in the NFL, the depth chart thing kind of matters, right? Because on game day, barring injury, the third quarterback's not active. So who's ranked where in the depth chart in the NFL matters because the, of the way the NFL rule book is organized. In college, it's a lot more of a ceremonial designation. So this idea that well, Smart said that Beck was number two, but then he started Carson. But then he started Stetson Bennett. I think those are very, very different things, all the way around. There, we'll do our SEC through here in a moment. Let me first shout out a very fun thing ongoing right now at your local Marlowe's Tavern, the one closest to you in your neighborhood. Ribs and whiskey is back. Now, listen, if you want to get my attention perked up more than anything else as quickly as possible, mention either ribs or whiskey. Mention ribs and whiskey together, and you have me at hello. I can promise you that. And listen. This is one of my favorite things that Marlowe's does each and every year. My wife, who frankly feels like I haven't taken her out to dinner enough since football season has started, is on me big time to get over to the tavern closest to us and enjoy some of this ribs and whiskey. So I'll be doing that very soon, whether I want to or not. But the good news is I really do want to because it's, you know, it's both the um, the barbecue options that are available uh, during this time of year, special new menu items there as well. Plus, you get a couple different uh, sauces and glazes you can put on there. It's the Jack Daniels glaze. There's the Carolina Munstered, uh, some really good stuff. The honey bread bourbon pudding is a special dessert that they have during this time of year. Uh, all really good stuff. It's only for a limited time, so you got to make sure you get it while you last. Get it while it lasts. You can also order this online. You, it can be a part of your tailgate. You can get it to go. Some people still enjoy enjoy getting their food to go right now. Marlowe's can get you hooked up on all of that there as well. Just enjoy some ribs and whiskey at your local Marlowe's Tavern as this fun event kind of goes place, goes on through the fall here. That's 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 just one of the most fun things that Marlowe's does all throughout the year. All right, let's do a few SEC through stories here just for a moment there as well. Last night, South Carolina coach Shane Beamer did speak. Uh, he does kind of a Sunday teleconference. Mark Rick used to do one of these. Most SEC coaches don't really do these anymore. South Carolina still does. And the thing that Beamer brought up on the heels of South Carolina winning kind of a hard-fought game against East Carolina is the current health of quarterback Luke Doty. Doty, I think, is kind of a better than some people realize, kind of maybe slightly above average quarterback by SEC standards. Of course, Zeb Nolan, who's had kind of an interesting story, ties to the state of Georgia, really the Athens area, goes from being a quarterback at North Dakota State to being a graduate assistant at South Carolina, thrust into an active role active duty role on the Gamecocks roster once the Doty injury happened. And by the way, Doty, another one of these kind of foot injuries, much the same way that the uh, Georgia's dealt with a few of these. The point, though, is is that when Doty's healthy, he's going to be the quarterback. 
Beamer is hinting that could be for this Saturday against South Carolina, against Georgia. Now, there's also a degree of logic that would dictate they're a 30-something point underdog. Um, Doty's health would be pivotal for the games they have a chance to win later on. You're really bringing him back for this game when you could hold him for another week and then have him, uh, you know, without facing this Georgia front seven for the games that follow after that. So we'll have to see how how this goes. Here's the one thing I'm going to just say briefly, and we'll leave it here for now, but we'll probably return to this during the week. I get the sense that Georgia is going to be very motivated for this game on Saturday for a number of reasons. Um, I just sort of think that Georgia is going to give South Carolina its best shot. Gigantic point spread. I think it may be worth following here uh, for this week. I, I think that Georgia is going to be quite ready for the Gamecocks for a number of reasons. I have my reasons for feeling that way. Some of them obvious, maybe some of them less so. But Georgia ready for the Gamecocks on Saturday, I fully believe. And I'll just leave it at that for uh, you know for right now. In other words, some of what Georgia fans may think Georgia's looking to do the uh, following Saturday against Vanderbilt, maybe that happens a week earlier. Maybe that happens a, a week earlier against uh, South Carolina, and we'll just sort of, sort of see how all of that goes. I thought it was fascinating to see uh, Arkansas and Texas on Saturday. This is a terrific, terrific performance for Sam Pittman, who I just love. And Pittman, after the game, great locker room speech. There was the video that some of you saw where, like, Pittman's, like, walking by a tailgate, grabs one, like, you know, the beanbags for the cornhole and tosses it right through the hole on the first try. Like, Pittman is what I want college football to be. This is a guy who's comfortable in his own skin. He's just kind of a guy, just kind of a dude. Like, you know, he doesn't think more of himself than he is, doesn't think less of himself than he is. He's just kind of a guy who's kind of comfortable in his own skin, having the time of his life in a state that he loves, coaching that state's flagship football program, and he beat Texas on Saturday. And listen, I realize that Fayetteville is like the outer rim of the galaxy. It's sort of hard to even imagine that people even exist that far from here. But the truth is, is like, if you were there in that kind of Southwest quadrant of the SEC, I think you'd have a better understanding for how much the Texas game means when a school like Arkansas gets a chance to play them. And in future years, they may play them every year. Once Texas is in the SEC, very good chance they will. But right now, those games are kind of fleeting. They come you know, few and far between. And when Texas plays Arkansas. It is a big deal for the Hawks fans to beat them. It's one of those things that combines the generations. The old folks remember the Frank Broyles, uh, you know, uh, days and Gary Royal, I guess, is the Texas coach. They have memories of that. The younger folks just don't like Texas because Texas was acting like Texas. But either way, it's like brings the generation together. It's just a huge, huge deal all the way around. And I'm thrilled for Pittman, man. Uh, he's put a great staff together there. He's clearly got some talented players. As I told you earlier, that game for Georgia on October 2nd looks like a, you know, that, that's a game where Georgia's going to have to be focused. It's going to have to, you know, play at its best. But uh, for now, all I'm really thinking about is the fact that uh, on Saturday, uh, Pittman really, you know, waved the flag for the SEC by beating the Longhorns and uh, really, really sent a message that when you look at these up-and-coming coaches in the SEC, first- and second-year guys, the feel-good story that Pittman started last season with is really carrying over into 2021. Great game in the SEC East. We thought this would be a good game. I was on the wrong side of the result. But nonetheless, Kentucky beats Missouri. A lot of folks now saying that Kentucky ought to be a top 25 team on the uh, on the heels of getting this win. And Will Levis, we talked about last week that, okay, so 
you know, we talk about a you know an emerging star after last week's games, and Levis, the Kentucky quarterback, may be that right now. New look offense, better than the one that Eddie Graham is trying to run. And Levis, the Penn State transfer, displacing Joey Gatewood at one point in time, I probably thought was going to emerge as a starting quarterback there. Kentucky really looks like a real team. And for those folks who kind of assume that the SEC East was only Georgia, that it was the easiest division in college football beyond the dogs. Well, I, I don't, Saturday's result calls some of that into question with, you know, Kentucky winning the game, but Missouri fighting hard on the road. I think both those teams are teams I'm interested in seeing more from. So the SEC East all of a sudden maybe seems a little tougher based on the way that Missouri and Kentucky played each other. Uh, Texas A&M struggled, but finally won at Colorado. A lot of you kind of mock me for this because I talked up Texas A&M a lot during the offseason. Keep this in mind. This game on Saturday actually shows how right I was about Texas A&M. Because ultimately, while I believe that the Aggies have a chance to go 11-1, and I stopped short of picking them when the SEC West, at least for this year. I think that comes for them. I think it could come as soon as next year. But I made it pretty clear that while I like Texas A&M to put a pretty record together, this is not a team I took seriously to win the SEC, win the SEC West, because they're simply not explosive enough offensively. Now, Saturday's game mitigated by the factor of uh, Haynes King, the starting quarterback, getting injured. But this is not a dynamic offensive team. It wasn't a year ago either. They're good defensively. They can run the football, but they don't have that dynamic offensive component. And maybe at some point in time, people notice that and kind of call Jimbo out for it a little bit more. So Saturday's game, a struggle for the Aggies on the road, closer than I thought the game admittedly would be, but the ultimate result just proves how correct I was about Texas A&M. This is a team that's going to rack up wins, but their offense not explosive enough to be a real championship contender right now. And that was what we kind of saw there from that. I'll quickly say this. Look ahead to this weekend's games. I think Auburn has a real chance on the road at Penn State after, you know, coasting in cupcake games week one week two you know Penn State's a high profile matchup it's also a winnable game as well so a little bit interesting to see how Brian Harson does in his first big spot big stage in the wideout game in Happy Valley coming up this weekend the other game I'll briefly mention here just for a quick moment is Florida hosting Alabama now the story here is the emerging controversy where it seems like Emory Jones is just the wrong starting quarterback for Florida we called this we said this over and over again, it was obvious during the spring that Jones did not quite have as much of a handle on this starting quarterback job as some of the media thought he did. Anthony Richardson's just the more dynamic athlete, I believe, and there's a chance he's also the better pure passer there, too. He should be the starting quarterback, and at the very least, he ought to play the most against Alabama on Saturday. And here's one of those things where I have to be honest and kind of go off-brand a little bit while doing so. I think there's a chance that Florida keeps it closer with Alabama on Saturday than almost anybody expects. The point spread suggests that already. Florida's only about a 13-and-a-half or so point underdog at home, at least at last check. The line may have moved a little bit since then. But at last check, Florida's only about a two-touchdown underdog, whereas after seeing Alabama completely dominate Miami in Week 1, you would be left to believe that Alabama's just going to dominate everybody it plays, including on the road at Florida this week. But keep in mind here that the Miami team that Alabama dominated struggled with Appalachian State. Once again, I don't want to get you know obsessed with comparative scores, but there is something to be said that the dominance week one for Alabama over Miami was more of a story of what Miami isn't than what Alabama is. Also, this is one of those things where honesty compels me to admit. Florida actually played Alabama fairly close in the SEC championship game a year ago. Different personnel than it's going to have on Saturday, but they also have the advantage of being at home here. 
I would be shocked. You could knock me over with a feather if Florida were to win this game. But I will not be surprised if Florida keeps it closer than the experts think. So kind of a big spot for the Gators in Gainesville on Saturday. And as I said, as much as it pains me to admit, I sort of am on guard for Florida playing a little better than some assume they're probably going to. We'll make that your SEC through. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of George, I want to get back to the dogs here for a moment. And I thought that Jamari Sire, one of the most important leaders on this Georgia roster, him talking about Stetson Bennett after the game was really pretty interesting. Now, listen, no one's going to dispute that JT Daniels is quarterback one for Georgia, QB one, as they like to say. No one's going to dispute that. As I told you at the very beginning of the show, that to me, the Bennett performance is kind of the Georgia multiverse. It's sort of the kind of alternate reality version of Georgia football, explosive with the with with Bennett there at the helm. And uh, Bennett's kind of an interesting story, but not necessarily a story that that grows from where it currently is. But it is obvious that the Georgia players themselves love Stetson. And the way in which Georgia players have talked about Bennett is the way that you want players talking about their quarterback. There is just something about quarterback that's different than the other positions in which you want to cultivate a level of belief amongst the players in that guy who stands at the helm at the quarterback spot. Football's just kind of always been that way, always will be that way. So if you want to know why Bennett may have gotten the nod on Saturday, just listen to what the players are saying about him. Salyer said some great things about Stetson, an example of that from Saturday right here. Stetson lived the life of a college athlete to the fullest. Um, so when it comes to his story, you know, he's, he's, he's got that, that hit factor. He's always going to show when his number's called. Um, and, and he's a good kid. He's a good person. You know what I'm saying? He's easy to laugh with, um, always joking, smiling, singing. It's just Stet, you know, Stet's a hard person not to like. And so, uh, you know, when, when, when people do good and, and they're, they're lovable people and they, they give it all to – to you and to your team, it's, it's hard to not rally around a person like that. Now, I know what you may be thinking, that Georgia players always say about their quarterbacks, but you can kind of tell one thing from the next. It's one thing to say, oh, we believe in all of our quarterbacks and whoever's out there, it's our job to go out there and win and play well for the guy who's out there. You can kind of tell when it's like the robotic pre-programmed answer, and you can kind of tell when it's the you know, genuine inflection of the voice that leads you to believe that, no, they really do kind of like this guy. Jamari, I think you kind of get the example of all of that there. So I'm glad to hear Jamari report that Stetson's enjoying his life as a college athlete because it's actually pretty amazing what he's done. I mean, think about this. You know, you can say, that well, you know, he's not the greatest quarterback in the country, but he's probably the best a quarterback could be having apparently practiced as little as he does. Remember, when he was named the starting quarter, or not named the starting, when he, when he came in at quarterback against Arkansas week one a year ago, I mean, I'm not even sure when he practiced because, you know, they're giving all the reps to, you know, uh, uh, JT Daniels and and, and uh, J- Jamie Newman coming to out. Daniels is hurt. Newman opts out. Then they give all the reps to Dwan Mathis. We hadn't heard one word about Stetson Bennett. Lo and bold, Bennett comes in there and saves the day. You know, had a couple of good games after that there as well. On Saturday, after all the practice talk had been about other guys, he stepped in the field and played the way that he did. It's it's a pretty amazing career that he's put together, all things being equal. And so Jamari Salyer says he's enjoying himself as a college athlete. I'm happy that's true. And I'll tell you this, Salyer also said some other great things about Bennett there too. It's a video worth seeking out there online at the Dog Nation YouTube page. By the way, speaking of Bennett, Let's also make him one of the subjects of our golden shoes today. I talked about this on our Dog Nation postgame show on Saturday. 
presented by the UGA Bookstore and at the UGA Bookstore, that Bennett's one of these guys that I'm not sure what he does during practice. I almost pictured he's like in just kind of this protective glass and, you know, you just sort of broke the glass in, in an emergency situation. Well, our buddy, the Green Soldier, terrific YouTube commenter, kind of gave me a, a version of that on Photoshop of in case of emergency break class for Bennett. That's kind of what he's become for UGA, and it's actually a pretty admirable role that he plays there. So pretty good stuff by our buddy, the Green Soldier, sharing that on Twitter. We'll make him the Golden Shoe winner. Also, our buddy uh, Mad Dog, you know, AAA brought our doghouse to us today, but they also bring us on the road with Jeff Sintel on Fridays. Mad Dog saying, when I see Jeff Sintel on the road, this is what I imagine. Sintel there with uh, the great uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, really good stuff from uh, Mad Dog. We'll make that a Golden Shoe winner there as well. Very funny. Gatorator countdown, 47 days from right now. We will see all of you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily. Presented by Palo Window and Door. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast. Cool down. I want to take a couple of comments here, and we'll get ready to bounce out after that. Hope all of you are doing, um, doing really well, and it's good to have you here. Obviously, it's going to be a fun week as you get ready for South Carolina coming up on Saturday and another chance to be back between San Francisco and this time for a night game, the light show. That'll look really good. As far as the show itself goes today, let me get a comment here from Mark Morris on Twitter who says, I'm embarrassed at my propensity to criticize Kirby Smart. It's his style to keep his decisions close to the vest. And I was criticizing the decision to start Stetson over uh, Carson Beck. Like I know the situation. There's a reason Kirby makes $7 million and I make $1.98. And that's uh, a nice self-effacing statement from Mark there. A lot of Georgia fans obviously kind of in the same boat. And listen, I get the curiosity with wanting to see what you have with the full breadth of your quarterback situation. Smart has said that He's very happy with the quarterback depth that he has there that includes uh, Stetson Bennett and all that conversation. So that's a that that's or should say that includes Carson Beck in all that situation. That's a that's a nice thing to have. But on Saturday, Smart made the decision that he made. Some people think, well, that's a typical Kirby Smart choice. This particular case, I don't think much of what Smart did was all that different than maybe what other coaches would have done in the same spot. Let's get a few more. Our buddy Georgia on tap, sharing some old-school mid-Atlantic wrestling pictures. You know, I obviously love that kind of stuff. Um, Tim For Real, I, I tweeted yesterday about <laughs> Florida State and um, losing to Jacksonville State, and this Tim For Real comes back and says, that's why you don't play college football games on Monday. Five days later, you play on Saturday and you lose. Florida State actually played on Sunday, but I get the point that he makes of short week for the Seminoles. Seemed to hurt him against a Jacksonville State, maybe a little bit. Um, Frank Palumbo also mentioning my previous take on the Georgia schedule, maybe appearing a little tougher than some folks thought it would be. He says, uh, just like uh, that, that seems to be uh, a lot more true. He says, we'll be talking weekly about that from now on. Yeah, Arkansas game, October 2nd, possibly even the Auburn game on October the 9th, depending on how it shakes out against Penn State. All of that will kind of speak to a um, a – much, much tougher schedule for Georgia than maybe some people thought, or at least more interesting games, right? Georgia may still coast easy victory, but possibly more interesting games all the way around. Let's see what else. John Tweet Sports <laughs> reached out to me because I was talking about um, the Jacksonville State-Florida State game. He says, by the transitive property, Georgia would be uh, beating Florida State 107 to nothing. When you think about Georgia beating, you know, UAB 56 to 7 and UAB beating Jacksonville State 31 nothing. So yeah, there you go on all that. Our buddy Mike Bell from uh 92.9 the game tweeted out a great picture of the legendary Irk Russell and I 
remarked about that on social media yesterday. So kind of a fun social media conversation ongoing. A lot of folks reacting to some of the stuff with Brock Bowers there too. And if you're going to look for the biggest non-quarterback story from Saturday's game, I think the emergence of Bowers as a playmaker to be reckoned with is clearly right there at the top of that list. Very, very impressive showing all the way around. Very strong, very, very good stuff and interesting to see. So we'll have to leave that there for now. Y'all check out R.S. Andrews online. If your air conditioning unit is near its last legs, you know that it's probably the case. Get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs with our friends at R.S. Andrews. They'll, They'll do the work that's promised for the price is promised the tune-up only costs 99 dollars. so find them online rsandrews.com have a great day i'll see you back here tomorrow 10 a.m for dog nation daily presented by pella window indoor of georgia we'll look forward to speaking to you then